This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. Welcome to the Artist Interview. And thank you so much for downloading, streaming, or connecting with us, however you are, on today's podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us. And in this episode, I'll be chatting to Graham Kendrick. We'll be talking a little bit about his history, his background, and the great songs that he's contributed to the church over that time. But before we hear from Graham Kendrick, let's listen to a little bit of this first song. And it is a song that I know many of you uh, will know that stands out in my mind as being the very first song that I heard from Graham uh, when I was a teenager. And this is Shine Jesus Shine. And that was Shine Jesus Shine by the wonderful Graham Kendrick. And I'm very pleased to say that right now, Graham is with us for the artist interview. Hey, Graham, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. It's an, it's an honour to have you here and I'm glad that you are well. Um, many of our listeners will know you, but actually I know that the younger generation may be less familiar with you. Um, it'd be wonderful if you could perhaps tell us a little bit about your history, your journey, how you became a Christian, <laughs> and really some of, maybe some of the high points as well that have happened to you. <laughs> Uh, as, a, as a Christian worship leader uh, over the course of your career? Oh, well, I have to give you a very condensed version. Uh, yes, so I, I became a Christian at a very early age. Um, I was brought up in Northampton, Tune, in a little village. My father was a local uh, pastor at the church. Uh, so I was immersed in, you know, the the, the music of the church. Uh, my dad was quite musical, um, and it always made a, a very big impression on me. Just uh, being in the atmosphere, which was so positive, um, and it, because he played the piano uh, in that old arpeggio style, running up and down the keyboard. Um, sometimes the house will be packed with people maybe on a Sunday night um, all the young people would pile around he'd go pull the piano out and take the panels off and I'd be you know a four-year-old or whatever sitting on the floor with my brother and sister listening to this uh, booming piano and people harmonizing and stuff um, and uh, it was it was just normal for me but it, it I looking back you know there was a uh, something really good there as far as my personal faith is concerned. Um, uh, my mother um, was responsible for that, really, because when we were very small, I was only about five years old at the time, I was the youngest of three at the time, um, she was reading us a bedtime story. And uh, it, it was a, a little novel designed to, obviously designed to not only tell a story, but to explain to children what the Christian faith meant on a personal level. And uh, we just come to the chapter where the, the main character had decided that he was going to uh, give his life to, to, to Christ. He was going to put his faith in Jesus. And I remember she closed the book uh, and looked at us and said, well, um, would any of you like to pray, pray a prayer like, you know, the character in the book prayed? And I thought that was a very good idea. Uh, and uh, so uh, I went off to a corner of the room and and, uh, and prayed, and I had no expectations. I just prayed a personal prayer, you know, sort of, God, uh, you know, forgive my sins, and here I am, you know, take, here's my life, you know, however a five-year-old does it, you know. Um, but quite out of the blue, I felt something, it's like exploded in my chest. I knew something had happened. 
Um, wow. And uh, I can still think my, myself back. I can still remember that moment. Uh, I don't think I said anything because you don't have the words. You know, you, you, I just knew something happened that I prayed and that God was there. I just knew. Um, and so that was a, that was a small beginning. Um, of course, all that gets tested. You know, you grow up and discover that actually most of the kids at school aren't believers in Jesus, you know. Um, and, you know, a lot of atheists want to take, take you on. And, uh, and we had lots of great discussions when I was at school, um, which helped to strengthen my, my faith. Um, so, you know, with all the usual ups and downs of life and, uh, 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 and successes and failures and whatever, um, my faith did stand firm. Uh, and I think it helped a great deal when in my teens I took an interest in, in, in music. Uh, it, and lot, in my circles at that time, a lot of young people were forming bands. I mean, this was the 60s and everybody was forming a, a band. But in our church context, um, people were using music to uh, uh, kind of gather people and then communicate their faith in some way. You know, everybody had a message at that time. And so, so did we. So um, that now, now in the 60s, the majority of churches, I think, would have been singing hymns. So, but your church, you had a band. So I'm going to guess you were maybe a bit more progressive than the average church at that point. Well, I think they were very tolerant um, in that, uh, and of course, this music wasn't designed for church services anyway. It was designed for setting up uh, an event in, in the church hall and getting kids in off the streets. Oh, I see. But occasionally we were allowed to let loose with our amplifiers and, you know, electric guitars and drums in the church. And, uh, uh, I and I'm sure lots of them absolutely hated the music as it was particularly new at that time, but nevertheless, uh, they were obviously keen to encourage us to step out and do these things because they knew we had a good motivation. Um, and one thing led to another. I became the main songwriter for that band uh, because we needed original songs. And I discovered I, just by trial and error, that I could actually knock together a, a reasonable song, you know. Um, and I very soon decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a songwriter, you know. Uh, went off to college and um, uh, swapped my electric guitar for an acoustic. And that was an era when... The so singer-songwriter was kind of being born. You know, that was, it was just, it was a great boom in those kind of storytelling singer-songwriter. Um, you know, as Paul Simon, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and Don McLean uh, singing Vincent, you know, that song about Vincent van Gogh. And I mean, just beautifully constructed storytelling songs. And I just uh, loved those and began to write my own kind of stories. Um, and when I left college, I thought I'd take a, a gap year. I didn't know what, well, it was, a, I was trained to be a teacher, school teacher, which is a wonderful profession. Two of my daughters are uh, school teachers. Um, but I thought, well, music is my passion. So I'll just take a gap year. I'm still in the gap year. It's been a very long, <laughs> a very long gap year. Um, now, you know, it, it was many years of, of doing that kind of singer-songwriter 
concerts uh, before I uh, the whole church thing took off, whole praise and worship thing in church, you know. Um, that happened more in, in, in the 80s. Um, but by the time I'd had a lot of experience at songwriting and um, there was a whole new revolution happening in the, uh, in the churches. There was a whole kind of new wave um, of, I think, people like myself, my generation, who wanted to experience God in, in a vivid way. You know, um, we weren't content just with church going. We opened the New Testament and saw all the amazing things that happened, you know, in the ministry of Jesus and the Acts of the Apostles and thought, why not, you know, why not now? You know, why not? Why don't we get this stuff? You know, nothing ever happens. <laughs> yeah. And so many people were searching, and I was one of those who was uh, searching for a deeper experience of God which eventually happened, um, and it was like a well was opened up, a well of, of life was opened up, and a lot of that began to flow out in, in songs. And I think that was the point where, little by little, not suddenly, but gradually, um, songs which were more church songs, that, you know, congregational songs, songs that everybody could sing if they liked it enough, you know, um, and so I rode that wave, uh, that early wave, and there was only a handful of, of us in the country writing those sort of songs. Um, but there was also our generation was starting to run conferences and events, you know, with, where tens of thousands of people would come. And so, you know, I'd find myself on the platform, uh, you know, with, with a couple of new songs and thousands of people out there who were willing to... To sing them. A huge shift in the church movement, though, in many respects, and many people starting to seek after going deeper with God in that way that you've expressed to encounter him intimately for themselves. Um, uh, and uh, just to quickly give you a story, if I may. Um, yeah. So two things to tell you. Number one is that when, um, when I was young, about 15 years old, I was a Christian, but didn't have an awful lot of Christian friends around me. Uh, and I went to the Christian bookshop, uh, uh, someone's recommendation, and bought myself an album. Uh, and it was your album, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Yeah. And I didn't have very many records, to be honest with you. Um, but this record <laughs> took a very, very precious place in my life. And literally, I would play it almost every single night. As I, as I was going to sleep, I would put it on as my last thing of the day and use it basically to have a quiet time. Uh, I don't think I really knew particularly necessarily what quiet time was, but I'd read a chapter of the Bible and put your album on. And it really blessed me and it really spoke to me. And as a, as a 15 year old, it totally, it was an amazing, amazing album that was amazing. unlike anything else that I'd experienced in church and just was absolutely beautiful. So I know for myself, you've blessed me very much, mm. but I also know that when we had Noel Richards on um, for the Art Interview uh, earlier in the year, he said that one of the sort of moments in his life that stood out was when he was taken by his pastor of the church to go to an event that you were leading worship or you were, you, maybe you were the event, have a feeling even. And it, I think it was in a, a hall somewhere, either it was Cardiff or Bristol, down that end of the country. And, and, and from that point, I think he knew that he wanted to do what you were doing. And, uh, and I think it was an amazing time. He said when he actually went back and played in that same place as well, when he had, his career had taken off and he, he thought, wow, this is what Graham was doing. <laughs> so, um, so I know there's been many, many people, myself and Noel Richards included, who've been hugely blessed on a very personal <laughs> level. So although you're right, the, the a thousand people, 2000 people singing your songs and 10,000 people marching for Jesus, whatever it might be, 
it is absolutely astounding. But um, the actual fruit of the stories, I think, would be probably where it's impacted hearts. And I know that you've done that for me uh, very, very much. So I'm very grateful to you, sir, for, for what you've done. Uh, um, uh, it's, it's been life-changing, I think it's fair to say. So the, the next track we've got to play from you is called The Servant King. Um, do you want to just tell us about that track? Uh, it'd be really helpful to know the heart in it and what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mentioned these large events that I get to be worship at, and one of them became an annual thing very quickly. Uh, it's called Spring Harvest. And um, so quite early on in Spring Harvest history, uh, the leaders began to um, prepare a whole set of of material from from the Bible, uh, which they will put out to all the seminar leaders and workshop leaders uh, to prepare their material around. It was like a theme. And I also started to send uh, that material out to songwriters like myself uh, and and others um, who led worship there to say, look, you know, if you could write a song around this theme, that would be fantastic. So uh, one year, uh, along comes this material, and um, the theme is the Servant King. That was the actual title, and they, that year they called it the Servant King in a Spring Hours. That was that was the theme, and I thought, well, it's it's all in there, you know. Those two words. If I just dig hard enough into those two concepts, Servant and King, uh, with regard to Jesus. Um, uh, the, the song is there, you know? And um, so that was my process. Um, and so I had the privilege, you know, the, a few months later of standing up and, and introducing that, that song, um, never realizing that, you know, it, it would still be going strong decades uh, later. Um, but the whole point of it is, is what it says, you know, it's, 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 it does, um, I think it says something about the character of God, which we don't always appreciate. You know, we think of God, or God's all-powerful and all, almighty, uh, almighty, which he is. But what did we see in Jesus? That he is also a servant. You know, God comes, he takes the lowest place, takes on a human body, the maker of all things, you know, becomes part of his creation. Uh, and we see him washing his own disciples' feet. We, we, we see him healing the sick. We, we see him humbling himself and serving and saying, you know, the greatest, if you want to be great, then you've got to be the servant of all. I mean, just radical, amazing things which have actually, um, you know, affected the, the world history, you know, where the gospel has been accepted and where Jesus has been worshipped. It has absolutely transformed uh, culture, um, as well as sort of individual lives like like mine and and like yours, to realise that God is like that, all powerful, but also all humble, if you like, and um, we we see this God in in the person of of Jesus.
Graham, thank you for the introduction to that song and the importance of who Jesus is in both king and servant. I know that some people, that might be a bit of a revelation, actually. Maybe they had a picture of God as being sort of this big, quite scary God who's, who's always telling us off rather than someone who's loving and kind and comes to serve and to bless. Um, it'd be wonderful at this point if you'd be happy to pray for the listeners, um, for us to have more of hmm. that intimacy with God that you talked about and to understand him more fully in that way. Yeah, sure. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are this kind of God who is awesomely powerful uh, and that we should fear, we should revere in, in that holy way. But at the same time, uh, you want to draw us close. You're, you, you've revealed yourself as father, as, as daddy. And Lord, we thank you. You've taught us that uh, as Jesus came, he taught the disciples taught us to pray, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. Well, this is just incredible. And Lord, I pray for everybody listening who doesn't know that God is uh, the one who loves them perfectly, completely, without reservation, and is that Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that that love will invade every heart and that the barriers will fall down and that uh, uh, the, 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 each life will become a, a resting place for God, a dwelling place uh, for him uh, to live. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Graham, for just all you've brought so far in this interview um, and also for praying for us in that way. We really appreciate it. If you're listening at home and you're not sure really about who this Jesus is, I'd just like to encourage you to find yourself a church. Uh, you can pop on to www.findachurch.co.uk. Uh, there are 45,000 churches listed around the UK that you can connect with. There are many that would love to help you and welcome you so that you can find out more about God's love. Uh, some of them are still online and some of them are beginning to open their doors, uh, but there's bound to be one close by to you that would want to bless you. So Graham, you, you mentioned sort of intimacy with God um, a little bit, and even when you were five, when you felt that presence of God sort of impact you in that way. Could you just describe a little bit about what that actually looks like? How, how does that actually happen? Well, I guess the message to me must have been clear as a child that God actually was interested in me. I'm sure that came from how my, in, in my context and my, my family particularly, uh, uh, described God and knew God themselves. So I, I always knew that I could tell God my innermost secrets or my worries or my fears, you know, and so that, that became a, a habit so it wasn't just a matter of seeking kind of a religious experience uh, in, a, in, a, in a sacred building, although sacred buildings are very helpful for, for that. It was just in the ordinary things of life and, and the um, challenges and fears and, and anxieties to know that I can actually bring that to God um, and that he loves me enough to actually listen to, to what in other contexts might seem utter trivia you know, <laughs> um, yeah. just because he, lo you know, he, he loves us. So, I mean, that's the key is to re recognize that uh, God actually loves each one of us. There's nothing we can do to earn that love. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less than he does or to make him love us more than he does. God's nature is to love, but it's believing that that is that pathway to, to intimacy and out of that flows worship, you know, because, 
You know, worship is a response uh, to God. Um, it's not just going through a, a routine, although liturgies, I think, are wonderful, wonderful help to it. But it, it's a, it's, it's a response. It's thanking God for for that love and that kindness and that care. Um, and sometimes we do that communally in church, you know, in songs that we can all sing together. Um, sometimes it's just a very personal thing as, as, you know, you go through your life and you just say, I mean, like this morning, just the sun was shining. I sat with the sun in my face and you think, oh, thank you, God, this is great. Just great to be alive, to feel the sun on my face. You know, so all your gratitude, you're just sending it back to the, you know, to, to where it, you know, thank the, the source of it. You know, all good things come from, you know, come from God. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I feel I've discovered as a, a Christian uh, for quite a number of years now is that there's always more as well, that God still continues to surprise me and amaze me with his abundant love. And I feel like um, he's over time revealed himself more intimately and more closely and more of who he is. And it's been an amazing journey that I've been on for decades now. Um, and uh, respectfully, you've been on the journey a few more <laughs> decades than I have potentially. But um, but it's it's. Well, I just want to encourage people, wherever you are in your walk with God, there is always more. There's more intimacy. There's more of his love to be revealed. Uh, and it's, uh, it's always worth pursuing him um, and just looking for the things that he wants to speak to you about. So, um, okay. So can you tell me, you obviously you've been very busy writing huge numbers of songs and you've got a great back catalogue. It was hard to select the tracks that we're going to play in this piece, to be honest with you. Um, but what, what are you doing at the moment? What do you see yourself doing over the next five years, 10 years, this year, whatever it might be? <laughs> well, obviously this year has been a very different year. Um, and uh, But I found, obviously all my travels, normally I'm travelling, uh, uh, not constantly, but regularly. You know, and so this is the longest time my wife and I have ever been under the same roof for, for, for you know, uh, without those interruptions of going away uh, at weekends and abroad and, and stuff like that. Um, big adjustment, um, but I guess it means I, I've been able to focus uh, on songwriting um, and online i've done a lot more online i think my website has never been so so busy and and full of stuff um material uh, i've been doing a little series on lament uh which is you know part of the christian faith which is somewhat neglected but this has been a time when we need to learn how to lament and to discover the the psalms of 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 lament um i've done quite a few acoustic recordings um Stuff that's been used for my own church, and we allowed other churches to uh, to use. Um, and um, as far as the future is concerned, well, it's 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 still a bit unknown. You know, I think the big question is for anybody who used to travel a lot and meet crowd, you know, crowds of people in sweaty rooms, <laughs> breathing the same air. <laughs> um, you know, we don't know quite how that will unfold. Uh, and that takes always takes quite a bit of run-up because, you know, organisers who plan these kind of events need months in advance, really. So we'll see how that see how that goes. But meanwhile, I've been, like everybody else, trying to make the best of, of, a, of a difficult situation. Um, and one of the things that I, I did in the run-up to Easter was to take one of my uh, Easter songs 
which is a kind of invitation to to the cross. You know, it's come and see, come and see the King of Love, see the purple robe and crown of thorns he wears. It's like, come on, let's just sit and look at this scene and see what it means. So I uh, I did a, an acoustic version of that, um, which um, uh, which I've made available, um, which you're going to play, and uh, which I'm we putting on my website as uh, as well. So that's an example of some of the things that I've been doing. So you're not quite sure what the future holds. It'd be interesting to know maybe over the space of your career, what would you say would be maybe two of the key things that Jesus has taught you? <laughs> Oh, that's always a very difficult thing. What do you pick from? Um, I think, you know, trust um, is the big thing, you know, really trusting that God is is who he's, he says he is, he's a good God. Um, and to translate that into not being anxious, not worrying about things, um, not getting stressed, if at all possible, uh, but to actually take a deep breath and remind myself that I'm loved by God and that he's got all my circumstances um, in hand. And if I uh, steadily follow his way, uh, that he'll look, look after things. There's a great verse I remember right from my youth, um, uh, which is from Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, put him first, and he will direct your paths. It's, it's absolutely beautiful uh, if you take it seriously. You know, That's a beautiful verse. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention and to our listeners' attention. I can imagine there might be people right now who I just think there's been some things that they found hard to trust God with. I just want to encourage people to to listen to those words and to trust God with everything that you're holding at this mm. time, because he will uh, come and direct yeah. your paths. He has good plans. There are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You can certainly trust in God. It's a great, it's a great encouragement to trust God in all things. So thanks very much, Graham, for that. Can I ask a quick question about the way you, you work? Because obviously you're, you're the face of Graham Kendrick because you are Graham Kendrick but am I right that your wife Jill does a lot of sort of the background work for you and supports you in this is that right yeah for for many years really since our youngest child reached school age because up to that point you know there was no spare time at all um she began to because she's she's got great administration management skills she started to look after um, those uh, elements of publishing and, and copyright administration and overseeing my diary. And, you know, there was years and years where we had uh, an office running with, uh, uh, you know, a couple of full-time staff and a few part-timers. Uh, and at that time we were doing mail order and stuff was, you know, going out in packages and pre, pre-email, pre-internet, all that stuff. <clears throat> We don't do. We don't have that office running anymore, um, partly because of those big changes in communications. But uh, she still looks after um, those elements um, uh, of of the, the whole publishing world, which is a, a great a great gift, you know. Yeah. 
I just thought she needed a shout out really because I, I was so impressed and she was so helpful in arranging this interview as well. So I thought um, I must mention Jill to say thanks very much to her. She's yeah, the, well, I'm sure she'll appreciate that. <laughs> so, um, okay, uh, with regards to new music that's coming through, are, are there things that you've done to help other musicians uh, and that sort of thing? Is it because there must be so many people who'd like to be? Oh, I'd like him to worship better. I'd like to to know more about how do I actually engage in being a better musician, and how do I actually in, increase other people's capacity to encounter God when they sing. Are there things you do on that side of things? Uh, I've always done um, teaching where where I've been asked to come and do a seminar or a workshop. You know, whether it's on worship leading or songwriting or, or whatever. So, you know, there's always been those, those things from time to time. And a lot of my traveling work before it was curtailed um, uh, was that kind of thing, you know, to go and be a speaker at a, at a conference. But some of that stuff also goes online. Um, and that's a great thing these days. You can, you can do something live and you can, if it's filmed, you can, you can put it online. Um, I've done a lot with songwriters um, uh, trying to, encourage us to uh, be better songwriters and some of that comes through co-writing um, and so in recent years uh, I've done quite a bit of co-writing um, and uh, that's always I find it very stimulating and uh, 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 inspiring it kind of helps to keep my edge hopefully um, and I hope because a lot of those folks I co-write with them um, a generation on below me, uh, my children or even grandchildren's generation. Um, so hopefully, I'm passing on some things uh, to them as well from my uh, from my experience. I've actually done a um, earlier on. I mentioned my early days of the singer songwriter, um, and not only have I just a few days ago put out. Uh, a selection of, of some of those songs, which um, I recorded live on tour about 10 years ago, but haven't been available online. Those have been online. But not only that, I've, in the last year or so, I've been doing some co-writing, um, uh, for example, with uh, a very talented writer called Lucy Grimble. We've written a, a song together, but it's a story song. So it's not a, it's not a Sunday morning church song. It's a, it's a song that, in this case, tells the story of, of uh, Jesus outside Lazarus' tomb um, and Jesus in, in, uh, encountering uh, Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. I mean, the Bible is packed with dramatic stories, you know, literally. What was, what's, what's the name of that track? Um, well, it's, not, it's, it's yet to be released. Uh, it's, that track's going to be called Four Days because that's how long Lazarus was in the tomb. So a friend of mine who's a, a young producer, who uh, I will name when the thing is actually released, <laughs> but it'd be well known to many people, um, has, uh, in fact, he was the one who encouraged me to write some more of these kind of songs. Um, and uh, so there'll be a kind of a, a four-track EP coming out, very kind of acoustic-y style, um, but um, with three brand new songs uh, and, and one very historic song done in a fresh way. Historic as far as my catalogue is concerned. 
Okay, yeah, a, re- a remake of one of your songs that probably well known, one we'd all recognise. Well, it depends how well people know my early catalogue, you know. But uh, it, it'll all be all will be revealed. Um, my website is the place is the place to go. And um, hey, you've mentioned your website, but you haven't yet mentioned the address. What what is the website address? Okay, GrahamKendrick.co.uk. That's nice and easy. GrahamKendrick.co.uk, and also on. Uh, the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, you can just put my name in and uh, all sorts of goodies will be revealed, including these new uh, uh, songs and projects which are, which are coming up. Well worthwhile looking into. In fact, you talked about things take a long time for in the event world people to book things in because they organise and things like that. Does that mean at the moment your diary is more spacious than you might expect, uh, given that we're recording this in uh, basically early April um, or end of March 2021? But looking forward, does that mean that if churches themselves were sort of like a large capacity church contacting you and said, oh, we'd like to do something in May or June, is that sort of thing that might even be possible? It, it might even be possible. I, th- I think the challenge is for the organisers to, you know, to get it set up so that they can, uh, you know, inform people and get people to reserve seats or buy tickets however they want. want yeah, to and do be able to do it in a social distance context yeah. without overfilling capacity. It's the capacity that becomes the main, the main it, thing, it I is. guess. So. There, there is a certain sort of economic size, you know, for any kind of li- live event. Uh, it works at a certain capacity you know uh, yeah. of people um so it's those kind of things that I've, i have great i've great admiration for event organizers um and uh, you know they take on great risks and burdens to make things happen for people and it's been a really tough time uh, for them um and uh, it's easy to get your fingers burnt so you know and we see it with the big festivals don't we in in the, the these like glastonbury and whatever there comes a point where you know you it's too late to plan now you know for even six months ahead or something you know and on those scales because so many things have to be put in place obviously it's simpler in a local context where you're trying to gather two or three hundred people or something like that um but you know i hope people will um be bold and because nobody, what nobody wants is to plan it all and then suddenly find there's another lockdown, you know? Of course, yeah. It's all about confidence. Mm. All about confidence. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that does make sense. So the last track we've got to play from you is called Come and See, and it's one that you've only just recorded. Um, could you tell us the context for that and what it's all about? Yes, um, this is a fresh recording. I originally wrote it uh, back in the late 80s, and it's it, it's an East, it's a, it's not just for Easter, but it's the Easter story, um, and it, it's really an invitation to meditate on the cross. So the 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 first line goes, "Come and see, come and see the King of Love. See the purple robe and crown of thorns he wears. Uh, soldiers mock, rulers cheer as he lifts the cruel cross. Lone and friendless now, he climbs towards the hill. So it's describing the scene." Uh, and then what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to us? What's the meaning of all this? I think a lot of people see crosses outside churches or in, uh, and, and think, you know, what does that really mean? You know, uh, and that's, that's, a, that's an open door, really. If, if people are willing to go through that door and say, okay, what does this cross really mean? 
let's forget it for a moment as a as a sort of a, a, a well-known sort of cultural emblem. But, and the place to go for that is to the gospel story uh, and, you know, to to read the account, gospel accounts and to sit yourself at the foot of the cross, as it were, and just ponder what is going on here. Because if this really is God, having taken on human flesh, allowing himself to be crucified, right, that is the most extraordinary event in existence in the whole universe. If the maker of everything becomes the man on the cross, why is that? And if that is because of God's love, we need to do something about it. You know, if it is f- to do with the forgiveness of all the wrongs that we've done for us to know God, you know, can, can, it, can an individual person actually know God? Well, this is what the cross is about. It's bridging. It's the bridge between us and, and God. And, you know, we need to get on that bridge because we need, we need God. We need to know God. Um, I mean, you say, you know, more than ever. It's always, it's always been the most important thing. But, you know, there are so many uncertainties around that um, to know that there is a God who loves and cares for us and is a solid rock on which we can build our lives, whatever else is shaking around us. That's the most important thing. We worship at your feet Where wrath and mercy meet And the guilty world is washed By love's pure stream For us he was made sin Oh, help me take it in of love cry out Father forgive And that was Come and See by the wonderful Graham Kendrick here for the artist interview and you can catch up with that interview and others online by going to hopefm.com forward slash the artist interview Get more interviews now visit hopefm.com forward slash the artist interview